0: This is Cecil, and you're listening to the Diamond Talk Podcast, presented by The Craft Factory. Now, here's Rob, Daniel, and your shoe to bring you the latest of what's going on around the league.
1: All right, all right. Welcome to the Diamond Talk Podcast. We're here with uh, myself, Danny, and we're here with Rob today. we good. We're gonna go. We're gonna go over a quick little World Series recap. You know, give you what we saw from the games. We're also gonna go ahead and tell you where we think that both the Astros and and the Nationals are gonna be heading into 2019. Last, we're gonna finish up with a little managerial talk. We have some familiar faces and new places, so we're gonna give that a go. Start off as we should know by now. Uh, The Nationals are your 2019 World Series champions. They were not the favorite going in. Everyone had the Astros for the most part. I think going back even to the first round, you had the Dodgers beating them. I know I myself had the Cardinals beating them. So, Rob, tell me, what what, what do you make of this uh, almost incredible Nationals World Series run?
2: I mean, it's great for them. It's great for their franchise. But, you know... I think anyone is kidding themselves if if they don't think that the Nationals winning the World Series was a surprise. You know, I know that there were people who had the Nationals as a team making the World Series before the season started. But let's not forget that I think the Nationals at some point were like 13 or 14 games under 500. Like um, when they were around like the first 60 games of the season, you know, if you recall, I, I, I wanted them to trade max scherzer you know yes, i thought that they should have traded scherzer and gotten you know as much value for him which would have been an extreme package um in return but i thought that they should have traded him and and you know try to do something with with what i thought at the time would be a lost season but you know that, that's what i mean by surprise i mean they really did surprise everyone if like if you asked me to bet I would have bet on the Nationals to lose to the Dodgers. I would have bet on the Nationals to lose to the Cardinals. And I would have bet on the Nationals to lose to the Astros. And they beat all those teams to capture the first title in the history of their franchise. So, you know, I, I think overall, I mean, we just have to give great credit for them. It was a great accomplishment.
1: Yeah, I think when we look at it, you're saying their early struggles. When when it hit around like August or September, we were, I think the thought was, if the Nationals get in, they're a dangerous team because of their rotation right and everyone you know and and that was kind of going around and even though that was something people had you know foresight for i don't think anyone predicted that they would pitch like they did this postseason you know strasburg and scherzer mostly they they absolutely stepped up on the mound and kind of just put in game in and game out kind of put that team on their shoulders and it wasn't just them too it was also it was also patrick corbin corbin had you know he had some relief appearances where if he wasn't there, you know who knows what, who they would have put in because everyone knew that that bullpen was kind of sketchy going in. You know, to, to, to further that too, though, you gotta, where it started the season off, the first two months of the season wasn't about the Nationals. The first two months of the season was about, oh, Bryce Harper isn't there anymore. When's he gonna come back to the Nationals for that revenge story? We really didn't expect much from them Definitely not offensively, just because he was such a he was such a big piece of that offense last year. So, right. you know, so let, let's go into into the games. Um, who's one player that kind of just opened your eyes and you're like, you know what? I did not expect him to be this good, or I just didn't think that he would contribute like he did.
2: I mean, I think you know, I think now it, it seems like it seems like he's a pretty common name, but I'm going to go with Anthony Rendon. You know, because even though even though A lot of people see him at the level that he is now. I don't think I personally saw him at the level that he is now. You know, like, I felt like Anthony Rendon was kind of like, he was kind of like a a borderline, like top five third baseman. But then, you know, once you expand the conversation to to top players in the game, I I had him like, you know, kind of falling more more back and back and back as the conversation kind of kind of kind of widens you know you can put a lot more guys in front of him and you know this year he he's made an incredible case for NL MVP like the guy is getting ready to to get paid on a great level i don't i don't think he'll top the machado contract um i like i don't think he's going to go near the 300 mark um i think he does go around the 200 mark um but you know it's it's one thing to have this perception of him in the regular season, but the dude came through in the postseason. Like you take Anthony Rendon out of that lineup for the Nationals, and I don't know if they're World Series champions. Like, like, you know, it's like when you when you pinpoint someone as the superstar of a team, like he really did come through as as you know, as people viewed him. He he played a great role for them. So I, I'd have to I'd have to pinpoint Anthony Rendon.
1: Yeah, Rendon was absolutely amazing. It felt like every time there was a big moment, he was up to bat. Anytime the team needed a big hit or they needed to to deliver in situational situationally, he would be at bat. He came through. What felt like every time, and you know, my guy that I'm gonna talk about is is Soto. Like, oh my yeah, god, this kid's, this kid's twenty years old. He turned twenty one, I think, during the World Series, mm-hmm. and. To do what he was doing at 21, and it's not just about the physical gifts. You know, obviously, the kid can swing the bat. You know, defensively, he's going to need a little work, but offensively, he's he's not. He has almost zero holes offensively. And to put up the bats he did, where he was taking the pitches he did, it was absolutely amazing coming out of a 20-year-old. You know, and this is, I think this postseason is the year, you know, we had talked about before about how he's going to be mentioned with the guys like Acuna Jr. and Bregman and those young guys coming up now and this is a spot to do it if you do it in the world series that carries weight because it's where the national the national people where it's on national television that's where they see you and you're going to become a household name that way and uh I I thought one of the the best parts of the world series and obviously for the dramatics but when he when he carries that to first base Right after Bregman had done a few few innings before, you know, it's it's one of those things where, whether you like it or don't like it, I personally I'm for it. But come on, man, to do that in the biggest stage and to kind of just have that confidence, that that was absolutely amazing to me. Um, so what did you see? If you had to pick one spot or why, let's say the Astros didn't come through, what do you think? What do you think held the Astros back a little bit this series?
2: I mean, I think one of the main things that held them back was just, I don't I don't think their lineup clicked as well as as kind of like people thought that it did when they were watching the games. You know, I, I feel like you were watching some of the games and it gave you this false perception of 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 the fact that the Astros lineup was performing really well. But it really wasn't like if you if, like The Astros lineup under, if if we're going to be like truthful about it, the Astros lineup underperformed the entire postseason. Like they, they didn't perform like that highly against Tampa Bay. They performed even worse um, against the Yankees. I mean, they they did take that series from the Yankees in six games, but like I said before, when the Yankees lost that series, it was a case of both lineups just not performing how how people were expecting them to you know that, that that was one of the main reasons why people were looking forward to an ALCS between the Yankees and the Astros because it's these two power lineups um, you know power contact everything and you had a lot of guys in that lineup not performing how they were supposed to and I think that carried over in the National Series and you know you alluded to it a little bit when you're facing if your lineup wasn't performing against a team like the Yankees who people like to critique for not having superstar level pitching you have to fix that issue going into the World Series versus the Nationals whose pitching is way better than the Yankees like you like and that was just a problem that they didn't fix you know it was like it was like uh like for example Alex Bregman would hit a home run and everyone would forget the fact that he's hitting like under 200 you know, like it, like you can't just brush away all the other at bats because a player hits a home run or he comes through with one double. It's like you, you, you know. I spoke about Anthony Rendon. You spoke about Juan Soto. Those were two players who were consistent throughout the postseason. Like on the Astros side, you had guys like Jose Altuve and you know Carlos Correa who were putting up great postseasons as well. But Alex Bregman is essentially their most important piece, and he didn't have that great of a postseason. You had other other guys like Gurriel. Um, um your Don Alvarez, who I understand as a rookie, but you know we're talking about someone you just mentioned Juan Soto, who's super young as well. And look at the performance that he put together. Um, so you know I, I think for them it was just a collection of their lineup not clicking.
1: Yeah, when you saw when you saw that at bats, it it didn't feel the way it did during the regular season. Granted, you you, you know we talked about it. You're facing Strasburg, you're facing you're facing uh, Scherzer. Those are two guys who are. Probably one of the best, if not the best ones who you're going to see in the major leagues, other than maybe on the guys on the other side with Verlander and, and Cole. Right. But when when you saw the difference it made for the Nationals, the difference it made for the Astros, the difference was Nationals were kind of taking what they gave them, you know, especially with like Verlander and things like that. Like, yeah, they had their home runs. I'm not going to say they didn't, but there, there a lot. Like, I don't know how many there were, but there were, I felt like there was a lot of singles from the Nationals. And a lot of times that they just simply, you know, put the ball in play, kind of just gave what the pitchers gave him. Even even that like ho- that oppo Homer by Howie Kendrick, the fact that that ball got out was ridiculous. A- everyone said that they have no way of feeling that one went out. It was his first opposite field home run off a blowing away fastball, and I'm sure I'm sure that uh, Howie would be a little surprised too, but. But man, like they, the Nationals really just took the approach that the that the Astros were giving them, and just taking, you know, they were taking their base hits, they were taking their walks. I felt like at times the the Nationals, I mean, the Astros were trying to do more than than they could. You know, yeah. you mentioned Bregman and his struggles. Like, dude did not look good. Like he no. he did not look good this postseason. And no. and he's he's one of the t- most talented players in MLB. He's you know I think he can you can. Officially say he's a top 10, if not top five player, but he struggled and it was, and it did not look good. Like it looked like he was overmatched at times. It wasn't, it wasn't those things where, where he was just missing the ball and he was hitting hard line drives. Like, no, this dude looked bad, the series, actually the whole play, the whole um, post season, mm-hmm. you know, on the flip side, what do you think clicked the most for the Nationals? You know, if you could if you could capture one thing from the Nationals run and put it on any team, you know, what what do you think that was?
2: I think for them I think for them it was the opposite of what didn't happen for the Astros and it was the fact that their lineup was clicking the entire postseason they came through they came through in big situations um, and you had a lot you had a a lot of their non-stars come through like you mentioned Howie Kendrick you know these guys you had your Michael Taylor your your Victor Robles you know in the in the earlier series Um, Ryan Zimmerman you know the all-time vet Um, come through for them glad that glad that guy was able to to capture a title for all the years Uh, I think it's what 14 15 years with the Nationals for all the years that he's been with that franchise Um, you know they got they got production not just from their stars but from their entire lineup you had guys like Kurt Suzuki um, you know you know and and that's going to happen when your whole lineup is clicking it's going to be a benefit to you you know, a lot of people, a lot of people would say the Nationals rely on on their pitching. And that, you know, that does carry some weight, but it's always a lot more comfortable and and better for a pitcher. You know, I, I think a pitcher has an easier time pitching when his lineup is producing. And I think that's what was working for the Nationals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I tend to lean the other way with that. For me, it is the pitching. So last night I saw this graphic on uh, MLB Network and it was something. It was Corbin Schorzer, Strasburg, Doolittle. And uh, the closer, I forget his name right now. But Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson, there we go. Yeah. So Daniel Hudson, they pitched 84% of the national innings this, this postseason, or I think it was the World Series. 84%. So they had their best guys on the mound essentially most of the time. And that's not taking into account like the good outings by Annabelle Sanchez. You know, that's not taking the, you know, the innings that the other relief pitchers pitch. That's 84%, 84% of of the innings thrown by by five guys. And when we think about team building and we think about, you know, what wins in the playoffs, I still believe that you want to have the most talented guys instead of, you know, the matchups and all that. You want to have the best pitchers, you know what I mean? And when we look at why guys are relief pitchers instead of starting pitchers and stuff like that, usually relief pitchers have a couple pitches that they can throw above average and nothing else you know they maybe they have a third pitch but most of them don't really use it because they don't have to they're in for an inning and when you get into a playoff scenario where you're starting to see in a seven game series you see a lot of the same arms a lot you kind of lose that advantage you know you're not you're not going in there as a reliever and you know this guy hasn't seen my slider before, so I can throw it, you know, over the plate, and I might get away with it. Like, no, when, once you get to a seven game series, the hitters are going to see you over and over again. I think that's what cost the Yankees. I think that's what cost you know, other teams that went deep. I think that's why the Nationals won. The fact that the guys they had out there, they were just good pitchers. And right. when we look, when we look at you know how teams are going to approach you know this off season. And things like that look for look for teams to overpay starting pitchers again look for that to be the thing you know what i mean uh, you know aaron i mean aaron cole garrett cole is probably gonna get a bigger contract than he would have let's say a year ago based on yes's performance but two because the formula that that just won you know we, we see it every year after every world series after the royals won everyone wanted to stack their bullpen it was a oh we can get away with with two or three starters as long as our bullpen's absolutely solid, and you know that hasn't happened anymore. You know, last year when the Red Sox won, they had a really good rotation. This year, the Nationals, the the Dodgers, going it every year for every good rotation. So, I think that that's something we we gotta look forward to with the team building. Talking about team building though, where do you think these two teams go? So let's start with the Astros. You know, we know their po- the possibility of losing Cole is probably at like ninety percent. Um, mm. You know, the contracts are about to explode, especially with Rinky on there. Where do you see the Astros going? Let's say, let's get, let's say, uh, in the next two or three years.
2: I mean, I think the, I think the Astros still still remain in contention um, for a title. The only problem I see with them is is Garrett Cole is going to leave them with a huge hole. So when Garrett Cole leaves, or let's let's say if, let's say if, because even, even though, you know, it's 90, 95% that he goes to another team, let's, let's say if, because you never know what happens. But if Garrett Cole leaves, it leaves you with a massive hole based on how he produced this season. You know, you're not just, you're not, now it's not just losing your number two guy behind Justin Verlander. It's losing a top 10 pitcher in baseball behind another top 10 pitcher in baseball. So that's not an easy hole to fill, um, no matter how hard you try. The problem that I see for the Astros is they don't have to address their lineup. Like their lineup is stacked. I wouldn't necessarily focus on on finding more offense. The problem is if you aim to fill that hole that's left by Garrett Cole, right? So let's say they let's say they're trying to. If you can't get a Garrett Cole let's say, um, not saying that they're targeting this guy, but like, let's say they try to trade for someone like a Trevor Bauer, you know, like someone who who has like that that amount of talent level, a, a Trevor Bauer, a Noah guard right? You gave up a bunch of your prospects to acquire Justin Verlander. You gave up a bunch of your prospects to acquire Garrett Cole. Now, do you continue that process of giving up your prospects to acquire another pitcher? Granted, it gave you a title, but now it didn't. You know, so like you traded prospects for Garrett Cole for two seasons of Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole might leave and it left. You didn't capture a second title in Garrett Cole's time there. So do you keep up that process of giving up your prospects for pitching or do you develop your prospects um, and try to roll with them? I I don't know. I haven't taken a a look, you know, because we'll, we'll do a later episode where we focus on the prospects. I haven't taken a good look at their farm system. I don't know um, how their farm system is looking um, pitching wise, but you know you had the guy um, Urquidy who who actually performed really well for them this postseason. Yeah, and I, the- I know, yeah, I, I know they mentioned that he'll probably compete to be like their number four, number five starter um, next season. So I mean that could be a nice little piece for them, but I don't know, man. They they have to. They're probably going to be as hungry as ever if they turn their focus away from Garrett Cole and filling up that number two spot, because I don't really know how much confidence I have in a team um, capturing another title when you go from Verlander Cole to Verlander Granky with Granky potentially being their number two.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no no doubt about that. And, you know, we're talking about the Astros' future here. In my opinion, there's no way they sign Garrett Cole. You know, right. in about, by 2023, I want to say, Alex Bregman's contract goes from the 11 mil 13 mil these game paid i think the next couple of years and it bumps up to 28 million so you gotta, you gotta think about that you gotta think about the michael brantley contract that's there which granted isn't a huge contract but it's still money being paid burr at over 30. granke's at over 30 million you know the one thing that that's kind of goes in their favor is we have to remember they have lance mccullers coming back next year he had tommy john he pitched very well for them in the year they won the world series um and then you have question marks after that though You know, Force Whitley was their big prospect. That everyone was like, "Oh man, I can't wait for him to get into rotation this year." He's probably gonna win Rookie of the Year. He's so good. He throws so hard. He's their he's their top pitching prospect. He spent I don't think he spent any time in majors this year. And if he did, it obviously wasn't memorable enough because he definitely wasn't on there for the majority of the year. So that's something to figure out. I know he was part of trade talks too. The next guy wasn't a bullpen. Joshua James, he was he was supposed to be a starting pitcher too. Instead, he's a he's a bullpen guy. We'll see if they they try to put him back in the rotation, but I, I don't think they will. I think he he works better in the bullpen, at least from what we saw in, in the playoffs. And it's not like it's not like the Astros have had like a great great success with drafting pitchers and hitting on those guys. Like yeah, McCullers was a great deal. They got they they were the only reason they really got him was because they were able to him more money when they drafted him because they underpaid Correa a little bit but if you look at the other guys they've drafted man marco powell number one overall pick in that during that time that the astros were out terrible and he's not even in the league anymore so do i do i trust their their development and stuff like that like yeah they've helped a lot of guys who've signed there um kind of reinvent themselves and have a couple good seasons you know, you had, you had Charlie Morton, you had, um, what's it called, the guy uh, Wade Miley this year. You know, obviously Garrett Cole went to the next level and Justin Verlander kind of regained a lot. But as far as the guys they've had in their own system, you know, you can't say with confidence that someone's going to step into a rotation and just be fine because we haven't seen that before. And Dallas Keiko left too last year, which is another thing that, that was kind of a big shot in the arm for them. Um, You know, what about the Nationals? Where do you see the Nationals next two or three years?
2: I mean, the Nationals are in a similar situation, you know, and, and I, I think with them, it has it has a chance to to hurt them in an even bigger way because you have two potential free agents: one definitely in Anthony Rendon, um, and the other one in Steven Strasburg, if he decides to opt out. Um, I think the Nationals are doing a little better in that department, you know, if if Strasburg does opt out and leaves the Nationals. Um, I think I, I think I like a, a Scherzer Corbin one two better than a Verlander Granke one two, uh, but yeah it it'll, it'll be hard for them. Those are two those are two potentially big contracts. I don't know if the Nationals are are going to be willing to pay both of them. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't I don't know if I'm leaning any particular kind of way to who they should pay. I, I think it, it was two guys who were both essential to to this World Series that they that they won. I do definitely know that winning this title makes makes letting one of those guys easier to let go, you know, because teams teams sort of tend to relax once they capture a title. Um, you know, it's it's overall less pressure from from the media, from the fans and everything. Like you're a champion. You know, you 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 got that out of the way. Um, and you know, lightning doesn't doesn't usually strike twice like that. Um, you know, in back to back seasons. I don't, I don't remember, I don't even remember when was the last time that we had back-to-back World Series champions. Um, I I think it might've been, wasn't it the Yankees? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Yankees back in, when they went on that three-peat from 98 to 2000, I mean, yeah, so that should let you know, like, you know, you had those five years from the Giants where they won three out of five, but they never went back-to-back, um, in, in, you know, two seasons. Um, so they're gonna, you know, they're kind of in a tough situation, um, it's it's gonna come down to whether they decide to pay guys and you know something I want to point out is I don't I don't like when people get caught up in the idea of of you know this this particular team won the World Series so they have nothing to work on because it goes back to that lightning doesn't sh- uh, strike twice thing the Nationals definitely have things to work on because if we use like going back to the stat that you use right they had those five guys. Who pitched the majority of of their of their innings, and they did a great job. But at the same time, that points to an issue for me because it's like it's like okay, you want a title off of that, but you need to have more guys that you can rely on. You need to have like at least a good seven or eight in in the postseason. You know, like I I understand by all means. Look, if those five guys are working for you, that's great. But you need to give. You know for future seasons you need to get be able to give guys a little bit more rest so you know maybe the nationals turn to addressing their bullpen getting some stronger arms in there um i know their bullpen was decent but you know i i'm always a fan of adding you know one one guy in there who's like considered to be a top 10 top 15 guy in the in the league in terms of relievers who can just you know maybe send your bullpen to another level so maybe they go down that route and focus on bringing in another arm
1: yeah, so my thing with the Nationals, look, I was I was honest, honestly surprised that they did as well as they did this season. Especially with, you know, Scherzer not really being Scherzer the whole year just because of injuries and things like that. I think it'll be very hard, very hard for the Nationals to get back to where they were this year. I think it's almost impossible for them. You know, to give you a few reasons why, like we saw we saw Scherzer break down, he had the next spasms. That's something that had been going on pretty much all season where he was pitching through a lot of different things. And for a guy who's max effort like Scherzer, eventually he's going to have to retool what he does, which means he's going to have to go from elite to kind of figure a way to to get it done. And I'm not not saying that he's not going to be one of the game's best. I'm just saying he might have to find a different way to do it. And what we have seen in the past with, with teams that rely on their starting pitches a lot, kind of like the Red Sox last year. They can't head into spring training ready to go because you do need, you do need to give that body a little extra rest. You pitch for a whole ne- for a whole extra month, which you usually don't, which kind of backs up your training schedule regardless. So, if if I were a GM at this point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush to have guys like Corbin and Scherzer and, um, what's it called, Strasburg ready for opening day. I try to, See if i can work them in later on in the season just because you know we saw a lot this season with chris sale like that dude was just not the same and you know you can say the same about a lot of the other red sox arms where they just came back this year and it was like you just don't have it i it know was, it was the life wasn't on their ball they just they had a lot of dead arms it, it felt like at times so that's one thing the second thing is I was trying to think about the season and if they had made any major moves trade trade deadline wise, and the truth is they really didn't. But the reason why they they didn't was kind of because they couldn't. They don't have great they don't have great pieces in their farm system. Mm-hmm. Like even when you look at the at their major league roster, look at you know Soto and Robles, man, like those look how young those guys are. Those would be the top guys in your farm system. They're already playing on the major league level. You know they had they had. I think his name's Cater Kboom, and yeah, Carter Kboom. you know, that he's their shortstop second base that maybe was a trade piece. But realistically outside of that, I didn't see anyone that they could really dangle out there, which kind of, kind of hurts them going into next year and, you know, years, you know, two or three years. As far as Strasburger and Rendon, I, I think Strasburg stays. I think they have incentive to have Strasburg stays. To, to, for Strasbourg to stay. Um, I think they'll just up that contract that he's already on. Uh, as far as Rendon, I don't see him staying. I know they, they offered him a contract already, but I think Rendon, it's a big possibility that he also leaves. Um, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, when we get back, we're going to be talking about some of the coaches that found new places. And yeah, talk to you soon.
3: Esa, esa, esa nena está dura uh-huh. Mírala cómo se venea uh-huh. Me tiene loco, you know, flow, ah, eh. ay, ay, y uno vean que algo un flow Y tu figura, me gusta cómo te menea Tu picante y tu flow bailando el traje
0: guys so when you listen to the podcast and you hear the title ssaw live sports podcast presented by the craft factory you're probably wondering what does the ssaw stand for well it stands for specialized sports analysis worldwide it's a huge facebook group community that only talks about sports all day every second every hour and from there make sure that you type in the letters ssaw or just type in the full name specialized sports analysis worldwide on facebook when you click on it make sure you put a request in one of the founders will click on your request and from there you join a huge community that loves to simply talk about sports every day and every second we talk about a wide variety of things from basketball to football to soccer to everything you name it even world wrestling entertainment everything under the sun we love to talk about it because we simply just love sports so again it's a facebook group a huge community that's waiting for you make sure you type that name in and we'll welcome you wholeheartedly welcome to ssaw
1: welcome back to your second half of ssaw's diamond talk We're going to talk about our new managerial places for some of our familiar faces. Uh, First guy we want to talk about, big news out of New York. Kind of one that everyone expected, and we have no reason, we have no, we have no idea why this took so long. But Carlos Belchand officially going to manage the New York Mets. Rob, what do you got on Belchand?
2: Probably like the best. Managerial hire this offseason, um, you know I, I I've said this a bunch of times before, and you know it's it's something I truly believe in. I think Carlos Beltran is going to be an excellent manager in this league, whether it be with the Mets, any other franchise. I think he's going to be a, a world champion manager at some point. Uh, as you you know, as most people know, I wanted him to be the Yankees manager once we got rid of Girardi because I think he I think he really understands the game. I think he understands where the game was and where the game is headed. And I think he can he can lead a locker room. He he has a lot of good relationships around the league with people. I think he can lead a lot of guys um, to the postseason and to a title. Like, I, I, I actually think he's gonna be a great manager. Um, yeah, like you said, I don't know why it took so long. I would've hired Beltran, like, the week that they fired uh, Millie, uh, Mickey Callaway, I would've hired Carlos Beltran. I know you have to have your interviews and you want to kind of fill people out. But, you know, it 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 makes it kind of laughable because you took all this time to hire the guy that everyone was expecting you to hire. You know, like you went through this entire process and, you know, fans from other teams knew Beltran should be the hire. Um, So I'm not I'm not too surprised, man. I'm I'm glad for him. I'm glad we have another Puerto Rican in the league. Um, I don't know. uh, Like one of our members um, had said if this will be the third straight year that a Puerto Rican manager will win the World Series. I don't know if I have that high of expectations for the Mets this season, but like I said, I'd put money on the fact that Carlos Beltran is a World Series manager at some point in his career.
1: Yeah, and I think when we see see the job itself, he's probably in the best position of all the new managers to do something like win the World Series. Right. You know, we just talked about how great the rotations were for, for the Astros and for the Mets, I mean, and for the Nationals. Well, the Mets have a pretty good rotation themselves. They have they have four guys that are no doubt probably top three guys in a rotation in the Grom, Syndergaard, Strowman. If you want to talk about Wheeler being in there, sure. You know, they have the arms to do it, which as we saw this year, is kind of the way you want to go about it. Um, the second thing with Beltran is Beltran's a respected guy. Like he's a Hall of Famer, or he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's won a World Series. He's done everything that a major leaguer would want to have done in his career. You know, he 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 was part of big playoff runs with with the Astros. You know, with the Yankees, with the with the with the Astros twice actually. You know, he, I I believe he won Rookie of the Year. He's been in MVP conversations. He's a guy that people respect, and I'm and I'm a few on that boat. When when the Yankees fired Joe Girardi, I wanted Beltran. But I wanted Beltran because I don't think Beltran's a pushover. I think Aaron Boone, he kind of gets away with, hey, I'm just a media guy. But I think Carlos Beltran is one of those guys that he walks in a room and you're going to just, you just have to respect him because he's done so much in the game. And I, I think the Mets are in a really good place. Um, do you have any, do, how do you feel about Terry Collins possibly coming back with him though? They, they, there's rumors that Terry Collins might be the bench coach there with Beltran.
2: I think it could work out for them. I, I think. I think you know it. It comes down to familiarity. Terry Collins knows that that organization and he knows a lot of the guys there. It's been what, like three years, two three years since Collins was was their manager. So he he's pretty familiar with the guys that are there right now. Um, I think if anything, um, it'll kind of be a benefit. It, it'll be a benefit for him in the same way that, for example, um, over in Boston, I don't I don't know if I remember correctly, but I think like Ron Ronicky. Is the assistant uh, coach in Boston to Alex Cora? Um, I I forget whether it's him or not, but I know that Alex Cora has an assistant coach who who used to be a former manager. So I I think that's always beneficial, especially when you have a guy who's fresh. This will be his first managerial position um, to kind of have like that second guy there who can help you out when you when you eventually do hit some woes. You know, I think it, it doesn't really matter how talented your team is. At some point, if you're if you're a rookie manager, you're going to hit some issues along the way that you kind of have to learn um, how to address. But you know, the thing, one of the things that's funny to me about Beltron is I've seen at least two to three multiple like articles talking about the Beltron hire, and they've kind of they've kind of been down on it because they wanted they wanted the Mets to hire someone who's managed before, and one of the things that they go by is. Um, you know, why did the Mets decide to hire someone who who's never managed before? And I'm like, haven't the last two World Series managers never managed before? Like, haven't the last yeah. two World Series managers, this is their first managerial position? Like, I don't understand that argument. Like you're seeing guys, it doesn't matter if you manage before. Like, like managing a franchise, managing a franchise just because you manage before doesn't mean you'll go manage somewhere else and be a champion same way that, you know, just because you haven't been a man, it doesn't mean you can go somewhere and not be a champion. You know, like it, it doesn't really matter. It, it You have to focus on the person and not, you know, like what they've done before or, or anything like that. So, you know, that 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 kind of sucks to see in a way, because I, I think there I think a lot of people are downplaying the the Beltran hire without even giving him a chance to to show um. Anything, and and he'll definitely have a chance to show it, you know, because there's a lot of people that are going to get on his back over this first season. But I think I read the deal is is a three year deal, like like guaranteed for him to manage. So it looks like he'll have at least three seasons in New York to show us what he's got.
1: You know, I kind of understand why Met fans are against it a little bit. And first of all, just, Met fans are one of the most panicking fans fan bases that there are.
2: grand wall. you know, they're
1: kind of <laughs> yeah. The kind of little brother to the Yankees. And then the recent experience with Mickey Calloway, man. Mickey Calloway went into there. That was his first coaching job. I mean, his first uh, men- head managerial job. And, yo, know, he stunk it up. Like, there were things that Mickey Calloway did that was like, if if you pay attention enough, you would have figured that out, guy. Like, you, this shouldn't have been that hard. So I think Met fans are a little hurt by that because Mickey Calloway was so, so bad in certain situations. But I agree with you, man. Like I can't. I see a lot of the met young players going to next level. What I mean, I don't mean they're gonna go from, like for instance, Rosario. Rosario isn't gonna go from, you know, bottom shortstop to a superstar now. But I do think he gets more consistent. I do think he's a player who's gonna learn how to how to prepare day in and day out, like Beltran did during his career. I think that only helps guys like Pete Alonso, who's the who's gonna be the backbone for that team, hopefully, for the next decade. And those are guys that hey, look, they're young enough where you can still teach them things. They're young enough where not they're not jaded by the game. They're still very moldable. So why not have them molded by someone who look, man, you have to respect Carlos Beltran just by the by the amazing things he did in the game. So so why not have him? As far as Terry Collins go, for me, it's a little weird. It's kind of like, like why do you want your ex in the same tax cab as, as you, you know what I mean? Like, hey, didn't I get rid for a reason? Like, what are you doing here? But I think as long as Terry knows that, hey, look, this isn't your team, man. Like, you're here to help Beltran out, then I think they'll be fine. And, I, and I'm sure Terry Collins will be fine with that too. I don't see him, I, I don't have any reason to think he'll do anything different. Um, the next coaching hire is someone who has coached before, who has been, I guess, mediocrely successful, but Mike Matheny will be coaching the Royals. What do you think about that hire?
2: I mean, it's good for him. You know, he probably doesn't have to buy a new house. He's he's staying in the state of Missouri. Um, But, you know, I don't don't know. I don't know about – I kind of expected Matheny to get hired by the Royals. It kind of – Matheny just seemed like one of those guys that would get, like – I, I basically saw Matheny getting one of the positions that wouldn't be popular amongst the popular candidates. You know, like I expected Matheny to end up in like Kansas City or San Francisco or like Pittsburgh, like one of those teams that isn't really yet in a position to be a contender. You know, like I definitely didn't see Matheny going somewhere like the Padres who have like a, a super, like a superstar farm system and things like that. Um, I don't really know how Matheny's going to do in Kansas City, man. I, he definitely is taking someone of a downgrade because the talent was a lot stronger in St. Louis um, than it is in Kansas city. But they, I mean, they do have some pieces they have, they have Jorge Soler, you know, they have a uh, they have like good young guys there, but, ah, oh, man, the, the Kansas city Royals are just so tough because, um, I think I wrote something a couple months back about the owner looking to sell the team. And something like that. And they're one of those teams that kind of just got like really complacent after they captured a title. You know, like they had those, they had like those two seasons that they went to the World Series. And after they caught like that title, everything just kind of went to shits. (laughs) Like they, they haven't really been mentioned as a, as even like a playoff caliber team. And it's not like their job is getting easier in that, in that AL Central. You know, you have, you have the twins up there who the twins are, the twins are kind of like a, uh, uh, you never know what you're gonna get, type of team. Like the te- like the Twins can go from like winning the division to like finishing third. Like with the amount of talent that they have, the Indians are always in the conversation. We'll have to see what they end up doing with guys like Lindor. The White Sox are, you know, primed to to start to run that division at some point with, with their young prospects. So I don't really know where Kansas City goes from here. I, I think I think it's unfortunate to say, but it's one of those hires that is a hire because you needed to have someone to have the title of manager there's no easier way to put it it's not a solution to anything it's just let's have this guy manage for a year or two until like we find some more players of value and then we can look for like a real manager to lead him somewhere
1: yeah i mean look the Royal unless they're winning world series you don't really want to talk about them. Like Jorge Soler had the most quiet forty-eight home run season <laughs> I've ever imagined. Like, like I, I felt like it was like September, and someone was like, "Oh, do you know Soler just hit his like forty-fifth home run?" I'm like, "What? Yeah. I was- what? How? Where, where's he even playing anymore?" And you know, it, it's kind of nuts, you know. He, he but he did. He had forty-eight home runs this year, and he had 117 RBI. So that's a that's a kind of a that's an amazing season buy it for anyone (laughs) and never mind uh Jorge Solera but you know my thing with Matheny is Casey's another team that that's very young they're obviously in transition they're a small market team like you said they're selling that team and no matter who buys it it's going to be a small market team regardless um Matheny stays at home he doesn't have to purchase another house like you said uh yeah, it, it's one of those things where I don't know how notable it's going to be like, towards the end of the season, but I do think it it helps young players to have someone that has been a part of a great organization because the Cardinals are a great organization. And the way they're run from the top to, through the minor league systems is something that they take pride in being a top organization. And you know, Mike Mattini uh, managed there. He was obviously fired from there. But he knows what it looks like when things go right which is, I think it's something that's very important when you have young players, you kind of want to go about your organization the right way. So if anything, I think that's that's the benefit of Matheny. Uh You know, la- last guy, uh, Yankees fired pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, he's been there since, I want to say 2010. Uh, that opens up that position, which by the way, it's it's gotta be one of the most sought after assistant Coach, kind of positions, just because of where it's at. But I know you had an opinion on who you want to take the job. Who, who, who do you have, and why?
2: All right. Well, here's the thing with the Yankees uh, pitching coach position. So first of all, I just want to say I thought Larry Rothschild did a solid job. Um, I think he did a, a solid job for the decade that he was there. But I, I think it's it's similar to when to when Girardi got let go. You know, like it was. Um, at least for me, because I, I know I know Yankee fans differ on who on who they wanted as manager and everything. But to me, it's kind of like 10 years is a long amount of time. You know, and in, in those 10 years, you have to do something, especially with a franchise like the Yankees, you have to do something that kind of stands out consistently. You know, like I know, I know like Girardi had those seven postseason appearances or whatever. But like you know, he got a world title in the second year of of, of his time there, and then people forget that his first year he missed the postseason because of that world title. And I think he missed the postseason like two more years after that, you know. So it's like, eh, I was he Joe did a good job. I was I was ready for him to go. I'm kind of feeling the same way on Rob Child. It's just like I'm kind of I'm kind of ready for him to go. So here's the only problem. I. If you ask me who I want there, just because of, just strictly, not taking, not taking anything into account, just strictly going based off one criteria, a guy who I think benefits pitchers in the game, it's Ray Searage, who was let go by the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's who I would hire. The only reason I don't see Ray Searidge actually ending up in New York is actually for two reasons. One, if the Yankees are trying to target Garrett Cole, I don't know how that re- that relationship would work with, you know, Garrett Cole having made adjustments, leaving Pittsburgh and, and Sirius was was his pitching coach in Pittsburgh. I don't know if Garrett Cole was necessarily trying to come back into that type of situation. Number two, I think the Yankees are somewhat in a transition as a team. Like I've, I've been reading up on it and it looks like they're interviewing a lot of pitching coaches that are coaching college teams. Like they and that was one of the reasons why they let Rothschild go because apparently the Yankees are trying to go more analytics based. Um and Rothschild didn't really want to go that route. You know, he kind of wanted to stay old school. But yeah, it looks like the Yankees are trying to get more modern in how the game is is moving today. So they're they're looking they're looking at outside options. Um, you know, even even going as far as like some college guys and things like that to possibly bring in as a pitching coach. But Rothschild's firing wasn't really that surprising because I, I think I think ever since boone got there everyone kind of knew that you were kind of going to do away with the entire coaching staff like boone kind of wants his own guys in there um but i'll tell you this whoever ends up getting hired is going to have a huge job on their hands like huge like huge job especially if the yankees end up signing garrett cole because now like you have expectations to meet. i've said i've said this before if the yankees go in if the yankees go into next season with a rotation where the top four guys are Garrett Cole, a healthy Luis Severino, James Paxton, and Masahiro Tanaka, on paper, like like seriously, on paper, one through four, that's a top five rotation in baseball. Like like strictly going off off, off of on paper. So the expectations will be extremely high for whoever gets that job. Um, and I guess we'll just have to see. You know, we'll definitely talk about it on here whenever, whenever we get a hire.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I kind of disagree with you on Larry chat, I think he underachieved with the Yankees. You see, you see all those uh, names you mentioned. You know, with with he had CC for about ten years. He has Paxton. He has Sevy. He has you know, I would I'm gonna go in there and throw Montgomery in there. He has you know, t- I said Tanaka already, but look, those are guys who, while they were never bad, I think they definitely never hit their ceiling though. And when we talk about when we talk about bringing in a college guy or or whatever it may be analytics or old school, I think they they have an opportunity to really get these guys to the next level. You know, James Paxton—he's one of those guys where his stuff is amazing. We saw it. We've seen him throw no hitters. We've seen him in the playoffs this year, and he absolutely dominated at points. And. The question is, you know, why can't they do this more consistently? Or why is it that three-fifths of a rotation is injured? I think a lot of that falls on Larry Rothschild, whether that's whether that's fair to say or not, you know. Baseball isn't just about, oh, what am I going to do at the ballpark? It's, hey, CeCe, hey, Tanaka, what are we going to do during the offseason building up to, get to to the summer to make sure that, that when you're healthy through the year and more importantly when we need you the most in October you're going to be at the top of your game and that's something I really didn't see with Rothschild I, I felt like the guys we had they they, they they never quite hit that next level you know you, even someone like Sevi, he I felt like he went backwards instead of forwards and when he went forwards forward it was because of guys like Pedro Martinez teaching him you know how to pitch over the offseason and that's a lot less to do with like Rothschild um as far as who I want for for the future i'm not against going with a young guy i think the difference between a college pitching coach and a major league pitching coach at this point is that colleges have been trying to implement you know not just the analytics stuff but the way of training the the amount of research they've put into protecting protecting arms and getting the best out of the, those guys is a little bit more extensive than some of the old school ways of going about it, and just because of that, I think the more information you have, the better prepared you're going to be. And we've seen it with the Astros, man. The Astros have turned guys, and you know the Dodgers too. They've turned guys who you probably overlook, you know, eight out of ten times, and instead they're here and they're having you know career seasons, and and they take that with them, and you know they just keep on going. So I'm not I'm not against going young, you know, wh- whoever it is they have a great opportunity, man. I think, I don't think the Yankee arms are as bad as people make them out to be. Right. I just think they need to be managed a little better. So, so yeah. we'll see what that. I, I
2: wanted to, I want to just quickly throw like something that you said, like, I agree. I agree in the sense that we have, we have a lot of guys who haven't necessarily hit their potential. I don't necessarily, um, you know, agree with like who I'm going to throw the blame at for that happening. Because you did mention, you know, like if, if we do break it down, Essentially, everyone at some point has been hit by injuries. Sabathia, Tanaka, Severino, you know, Paxton didn't get hit too hard by injuries this year. But, you know, in Seattle, it's a guy that 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 was somewhat injury prone in in Seattle. And but we do have that talent. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, people, someone might be listening to this podcast and hear me say that if the Yankees acquire Garrett Cole, a one through four could be considered a top five like rotation in baseball. And they might think I'm crazy. And I, I want people to actually go and, like, look at numbers, look at the games. Because it might not look so, like, as a whole. And it kind of goes back to what me and Daniel are talking about in terms of them reaching their potential. But we've seen what Garrett Cole is. Like, Severino, last year, last year, Severino's first half, Severino was pitching like a top five pitcher in baseball. Like let's not forget that. Like Severino had like a two something ERA, fourteen and two first half of the year, and then he digressed the second half. This year is arguably one of James Paxton's best season. I think he what he finished the year like ten and zero, like like after in the second half or whatever. Tanaka probably the Yankees' best postseason pitcher since he's been in New York, like by far. So these guys all have like their positive. It's just you know it's it's about all of them being healthy, all of them clicking at the same time, and. That's why I think whoever gets brought here is going to have a huge amount of pressure, but he'll definitely have the talent with him to to show us what he's got.
1: Yeah, I know. And, and you hit it, man. It's just inconsistency. Right. It's been inconsistency. Some guys have had some great stretches. You know what I mean? Tanaka's been out there and there's games that he looks absolutely unhittable. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Guys, thank you for listening to, to Diamond Talk. We'll see you next time.
0: Hey, guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Diamond Talk podcast presented by the Craft Factory. Stay tuned for the next episode. But until then, if you have any statements, comments, or you want your questions answered live on the podcast, feel free to email us at DiamondTalkPodcast at gmail.com. That's DiamondTalkPodcast at
3: gmail.com. See you soon.